0: Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take him to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, is chihuahuas snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business, I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this is how our week went. hey everybody welcome back to another episode of cat disgusted uh, thank you so much for listening you guys are so kind uh, there was such a nice response from everybody about those first the first couple episodes that we did uh, I was on call when I recorded those and so I, I thought it would be worth talking about what I could be called in for and that would be you know anywhere between the hours of 7 p.m. and 7 a.m those 12 hours of unnerving, not on the clock but on the clock work time uh what, more than likely what i'd be calling to help my buddies with at the hospital would be an emergency surgery so i thought uh worth touching on that here uh this is an episode that i'd simply like to call the beeping to I could suture directly or clamp. I don't know which one to do. I don't know either. Well, my guess is, is if you came and looked at it, you would have a better idea. I'm sure that's true, but I'm not the one offering. This is a lot of blood. She's crashing. You're overthinking it. Dr. Yang. Look at the aorta. What does it tell you? That I have two options and I don't know which one to do. This is crazy. Why isn't she helping her? How's it going? Yang's killing her patient. Altman's reading the Atlantic monthly. Where... Is that little Asian scrub nurse when you need her. You know which one I'm talking about, right? She's the, the little one who's in every single uh, Grey's Anatomy surgery. She's Like she's in every OR all, all at once, all at the same time. And she's always cool and she's always calm and collected. And she gives the best little like eyebrow lifts over that little surgical mask. Yeah, <laughs> Boy, do we love her uh and boy do we need her sometimes uh fun fact actually she is a real life scrub nurse like that's actually what she does for a living and she works she still works in ors in los angeles i think in like santa monica and she's a open heart surgery scrub nurse uh so that's kind of fun so let's talk a little bit about what actually makes surgery in veterinary medicine an, an emergency. Uh, there's relatively few things when you think about it that the things that will actually bring a surgeon out of their bed and into your OR in the dead of night. Um, those things are uh, a couple things we'll talk about today anyway are a GDV, a GIFB or a GI foreign body, Uh, splenectomy, which can be a bonus feature of a GDV, and the occasional cystotomy. So uh, let's talk about the GDV because those are three three little letters that haunt us uh, in the dead of night in in emergency medicine. So what the letters stand for are gastric dilatation volvulus. And what it literally is, is the stomach in a big dog, usually, usually, sometimes you get a little guy, uh, but in a big dog, the stomach will actually flip over on itself and it's it is a totally crazy thing like i used to think that i kind of knew what this was like i used to think i knew how this worked uh i kind of pictured it like like you had like a like a sheet say with something heavy in it and you like twisted it on either end like kind of double dutch style and like that big heavy thing would like you know would get caught in the middle because you were twisting on either end but it's actually nothing like that i highly recommend um going on youtube and searching um gdv in dogs there's a great animation that's out there and I can't, I cannot, I'm sorry person who made this animation. I'm sure you're fabulous and I will totally credit you when I find it myself again. Uh, but the animation of how this, the stomach kind of flips like forward and around and makes this, uh, makes this, this end over end twist is kind of amazing, uh, and fantastical that it can even just occur in an animal. So essentially, so the gastric stomach dilatation, bloating and then volvulus is the twisting so what happens is when this stomach flips over in a big dog or the occasional little guy uh all the the, you can imagine if you tied off a you know it's like tying off a balloon Uh, so it's tied off at the esophageal end it's tied off at the uh at at the at the sphincter end at the bottom of the stomach and all the gas and the juices just start to like build and dilate that belly and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and takes up all this space in the abdomen. Um, it starts squishing up against things that were not meant to be squished against like your spleen, uh, your your caudal vena cava, which is like a huge blood vessel that runs, you know, along uh, in us, along our, along our backs up and down and dogs is along their backs, like, you know, uh, uh, from front to back. Um, meaning head to tail, and it cuts off circulation to the back half of their body. Um, their spleen can actually rupture uh, their peritoneum, which is their little membrane, which we have too, uh, that holds all their guts in place. That can like necrose because it's getting all stretched out. Yeah, it's it's bad. So that's an emergency surgery. That's like the true classic emergency surgery. There's no way to truly correct that properly, um, without opening the dog up, getting, you know, elbows deep in that abdomen and twisting that stomach back around. Uh, you can decompress these guys. And, uh, that, that's a, that's an exciting and messy affair. It does. It still involves full anesthesia and, and, and it involves, you know, which means intubating them, protecting their airway. Cause you're going to be, there's going to be just freaking a gastric juice party, which is happening uh, as you pass an esophageal tube and try to try to get past that twisted tissue. That's, you know, like the twisted top end of that stomach and pass this tube and just empty it of all like the most gnarly, juicy, kibble filled um, funk. So that that can sometimes happen before surgery, but it's like a step to surgery. Uh, so that that's, that's the biggie. Uh, GI foreign body. So the so classic. Like I feel like veterinarians make their bread and butter money on dogs eating crazy things. And so if a dog eats a crazy thing uh, and it obstructs their GI tract somewhere along the way, uh, that's, that's a problem. And so we got to go and take it out. Uh, Splenectomy. So, so a lot of, a lot of times you'll get masses that'll be on the spleen. And when a mass is on the spleen, the spleen is just like a big old spongy friend in your belly full of blood. So if you get a mass, on that organ, um, it can bleed like the Dickens. And so if you're, if you have a classic dog come in pale mucous membranes, older dog, like Labrador retriever. Oh, he was fine this morning and now he can't get up. So that, that dog, you do a quick little look with their, with the ultrasound, you see their belly is full of fluid. You stick a needle in it. You get blood back. You see a mass in their abdomen, probably a splenic mass. So in the best, sometimes the best way for that bleeding to stop is just to take the mass out. Now you occasionally have uh, a cystotomy that you'll have to do. These poor guys. I feel like it's not as common, but I always feel hella bad for these poor guys. It literally is usually if they can't urinate. So a cystotomy, uh, cysto meaning uh, the bladder, and uh, the otomy is to cut into it. So uh, guys with bladder stones, they'll sometimes shoot those bladder stones that are rolling around like a little snow globe in their bladder. They'll shoot them into the urethra, and once that happens, it's like it's like putting a cork in a bottle. Like those guys can't pee. And it can happen to both, uh, both male and females of dogs and cats. Uh, and it's really uncomfortable for these poor guys. Now the surgical experience of your ER nurses, varies widely. Uh, my surgical experience is kind of because, you know, I never really, I always, I worked, I've been working in emergency medicine pretty much since I started doing this job. And so my surgical experience is like, I had no like healthy space, no like healthy mass removals. You know, my surgical experience would be like nothing, 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 crazy shit, nothing, 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 nothing crazy thing. Cause of course all the emergency surgeries that you get, they're like unstable and they have to happen that night. And, my first emergency surgery ever was a 170 pound mastiff named Maud and she was not nice (laughs) so it was hard to deal with 170 pounds worth of not nice but she was very very ill and the reason why she was is because she had a perforated bowel which basically means that her guts were so ill that they had ruptured and her abdominal cavity was filling up with intestinal contents and you know i think the reason why she had this was because she ate something weird Of course, she like ate like half of a tennis ball or something. But, you know, I don't even remember what it was that she ate. All I remember is like septic, 170-pound dog, mean as shit, maud. So that was my first emergency surgery. The dog lived uh, for for a while. Um, I remember the surgeon had to place like a female Urinary catheter in her, which took forever, and she was like waking up from anesthesia, and we were trying to get this catheter in, and she's like in there with her finger in the whoer, being like, "Oh, this is the craziest anatomy I've ever felt." And I'm like, "Oh God," um, but she did live for quite a while after that. But then she 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 ended up being euthanized for an unrelated reason, is what what I remember. So let's talk a little bit about my role as uh, my role in the OR. So in human surgery. Those ORs, they are filled with people. Like the Grey's Anatomy is actually not a bad example for how many people you're going to see in an operating room. Like there could be up to like 30 people. And you got one human, you know, strapped to a table under anesthesia. So even just the anesthesia, you've got like an anesthesiologist, you've got an anesthesiologist assistant, most likely. You've got um, sometimes what's called an infusion nurse, which is a nurse that's only in charge of your intravenous medications, which could be separate from the anesthesia infusion nurse. It's like two people who are like, you know, these are my drugs, these are your drugs. Um, So there's a lot going on. at at any given moment in a, in a human OR. So in emergency veterinary ORs, you got the surgeon and you got me. That's it. (laughs) That's all we got. So we're doing all of the same things, all of those same jobs, all that anesthesia, surgical assisting. Sometimes I mean, I have to put sterile gloves on. Um, We even will sometimes use a sterile nurse, like where you have to like really scrub in and put a mask on and like make sure you're you sterile do sterile scrub and a gown and all that. That takes another person if you're going to do that because you can't monitor anesthesia and do that at the same time. Uh, But really, it's yeah, we're down to like me and the surgeon. And what are we doing? So what we're doing is mainly we're monitoring anesthesia. That's our main focus. Um, We will open packs for surgeons. So uh, when we do these surgeries, we have like a basic pack, we have separate instruments, we have suture, we have Uh, suction hoses. We've got cautery that we're using. And so all those things, once the surgeon is sterile, they can't really, they can't touch anything that's not sterile. And so if you're not sterile, then you're going to open up a whole bunch of things uh, for them to, for them to touch and throw them up onto the sterile table so that they can work with them. But really what we're there for is anesthesia. Like these, and these guys, you know, they're not necessarily stable patients, you know, like that poor doggy with his... Stomach filling up with gas, cutting off blood supply to the back half of his body. You could see that his blood pressure would be, you know, a problem. So there's a couple different types of equipment that we're using. Uh, these these animals are always under gas anesthetic, uh, just like a person would be if they were having an abdominal surgery. Uh, we induce them with an injectable uh, induction drug, which is usually a mix of maybe one or two medazolam, which is like Valium, and then uh, same drug category as Valium, and then propofol, which Michael Jackson made super popular. So those two things induce anesthesia. We use a uh, an endotracheal tube to intubate them, to protect their airway. And then we move them into the OR. And the type of equipment that we're using, we're using something called a pulse oximeter. It's like what you wear on your finger, except in little doggies, we'll put it on their tongue. Uh, we're using capnometry, which is uh, a little device that fits on the end of their endotracheal tube, and it measures the amount of carbon dioxide that they're breathing out, which is my personal favorite for anesthesia, because it's a really good idea about how well their their lungs are inflating and deflating and how well they're perfusing all of that oxygen. Uh, blood pressure, that's a huge one. Oh my God, blood pressure. Usually, if you're going to have problems on emergency, it's going to be with their blood pressure. Um, it's a little blood pressure cuff that kind of blows up every you know a you know, couple minutes or so and gives you a reading. Uh, their temperature is important, and then you're dealing with their IV fluids and their IV fluid rate, which has to be higher uh, in surgery because they're losing fluids because their abdomen is open, um, and they're the all the drugs that you're using are lowering their blood pressure as well, or at least making them more susceptible to low blood pressure. So there's a lot going on, um, and these are all the same things that were happening with MOD mean old mod on my first emergency surgery. So, you know, baby steps, right? Kicking me in there. So how do we fix the GDV? Let's talk about that one since that's the first one that since that's the most prevalent in our emergencies. So the gastric dilatation volvulus, how do we fix it? So what the surgeon has to do is they have to they have to untwist the stomach first, um, and then a lot of times you know they're they're going to do uh, a splenectomy as well because what's happened is like they all their blood vessels have been compressed and so their spleen has either died or it's ruptured or it's damaged. Um, so the bonus feature of the GDV is that the spleen is probably going to come out too. Um, so they're untwisting the stomach, but you're still going to have to pass this stomach tube, and so this is this is kind of where I, you know I've. I, Nobody really like was with me, like, you know, like shadowed me or whatever for like these, these surgeries when they would happen. I just kind of had to learn by doing and just like being very, very candid with the surgeon, like tell me exactly what you want me to do, sir. Um, So that I wouldn't screw anything up. Uh, What you do is you pass this, uh, the stomach tube, you have to pass the stomach tube as the surgeon is rotating the stomach back around. And what you're going to get rid of is a whole bunch of whatever is collected in that giant dilated stomach. And we're talking dilated. I mean, like that sucker is like big old, it looks like a Popeye arm actually, when you look at it on an x-ray, because there's a little tiny bubble and then a really big bubble where the twist is, but it can like literally take up their entire abdomen. It's kind of unbelievable. So... You can imagine there's a lot of good stuff in there waiting for you in the OR. So the first times uh the first time that I passed a stomach tube in one of these guys, you know they're like, "Okay, we need to pass this stomach tube." And I'm like, "Okay, just tell you tell, you know, I'll, should I loop it up?" Oh, yeah, sure, I'll be more comfortable. Oh, okay. So then you pass so then I'm at the head of the dog and the surgeon's in the dog, like elbows deep in the dog. And I'm passing this this stomach tube, like, you know, kind of like, and you you can't see anything with these guys. You're like, they're under drapes. They're under a heat support. So I'm like sweating underneath the bear hugger, like, you know, under the drapes and passing this big old stomach tube into their esophagus. And, uh, you can't see how far it's going. Right. So you're just like, you're just like going, 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 like feeding this thing. And the surgeon's going a little bit further, a little further little further i'm like okay okay i'm meeting some resistance do you uh you see anything no a little further okay almost and then they don't tell you oh yeah you're there all of a sudden through this stomach tube is like vomit shower like seriously like fluid kibbles just funk just pouring out of this tube and you know smart people will have a garbage can or a bucket or something like you know by the table to put the other end of the tube in or if you're beginning then you're just kind of holding on to the other end of the tube with your other hand and it's pointed oh say towards your body and you take a little vomit shower and they're like oh there you go you're getting something and you're like as it's like just spilling stomach contents all over the floor There is one surgeon I worked for uh, who doesn't believe that, that these GDV surgeries, that there's really much fluid in those dogs at all. He says that it's actually mostly air. So I remember the last one that we did together, he's saying like, you know, there's never any food in these guys. There's never any fluid in these guys. It's always just air. And I'm thinking, vomit shower, vomit shower, vomit shower. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. So we pass the stomach tube in there. And he's and he's like, Are you getting anything? Are you getting anything? And I'm like, N- no, 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 no. And I'm trying to maneuver the other end of the tube in the bucket because I know, because I know it's coming. And he says, do Do you see any air yet? No, no, doctor. I do not see any air yet. And then what do I what do I see? I see. Goosh! All of a sudden, kibble, like it was kind of like, you know, like there was a kibble probably blocking the flow and then that fired out of there. And so it was like all this brown, disgusting, gross fluid stuff. And I'm like, nope, don't see any air, but we got some kibble. We got some fluid. Yep, it's all coming out just fine. And the surgeon goes, okay, you've won this round. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Thank you. So let's let's, let's talk about the next one. Um. GI foreign bodies. So, what keeps the vet in business? So, uh, dogs and cats eat crazy things. Uh, we haven't really talked about cats much. I feel like this is a fitting time to introduce our kitties. And so, uh, kitties get GI foreign bodies just as just as dogs do. Like cats are big fans of eating things like strings. Um, cats love to eat hairbands. every now and then you're going to get a cat with a fish hook. That's super cool. Uh, the kitty that I can remember most, uh, most recently who ate uh, a string was this little tortoise shell kitty who came into the hospital with a red string hanging out of her mouth. Like it was like a red embroidery thread, like hanging out of her mouth. And, uh, We were like, "Oh, that's not cool." So, of course, you have you kind of do like a little tentative, little, like trying to pull on it to see, like, "Oh, maybe you're just on it. Maybe you're just on the tooth." Kitty, have a Oh, okay. Nope, nope. That's attached. That's attached deep somewhere. Um, this poor little kitty. We had to uh take her to uh an endoscopic procedure. So she actually. These are a little bit tricky because you kind of you have to make a game time decision if you're gonna go to surgery or if you're gonna do endoscopy. So endoscopy is really, really cool. I think it's like one of the neatest things that I'm able to be a part of at this gig I'm at now. Um, our internal medicine department has a very, very expensive machine, uh, which is a, which is an endoscopy machine. and it's basically like a light on the end of a really long wand. The the internal medicine texts are like cringing as I describe this machine. But this is, you know, that's the best way I can describe it, right? It's kind of like the, oh my God, do you remember that movie, My Stepmother's an Alien with Kim Basinger? Okay, the eye in the purse, it's kind of like that, but longer, and I'm sure more expensive. Uh, so that's what we decided to do with Kitty with the red string, hang- red string hanging out of her mouth. Because we thought it's c- it can't be that far in there. Let's hope it's not that far in there. Even if it's in her small intestine, you know, our doctors are badass and they can just go in there and they'll pull it out. So uh, we put her under anesthesia. Well, okay. The first thing we tried to do was make her barf. And like, cats, you know, you cannot make them do anything, right? Well, okay. I mean, you can, but you, I, they, they don't want to barf. They don't want to barf, especially in a hospital. Like, doesn't matter what drug you use, it's gamble. So now, I think they're actually saying now that, like, um, the alpha-2s, alpha-2 agonists are really good. You give them a dose of a drug called dextomatora intramuscularly and they'll vomit, which is what we did. Um, she did vomit, but the string just kind of got coated in foamy vomit and swung around like no difference. So that didn't make a difference. I think the doctor tried the little tug one more time just to see if it was go. Oh, okay, nope, kitty says no. So we taped the string to her neck, put her on, uh, IV fluids and called the internal medicine doctor. Uh, so she came in, uh, we put the kitty under gas anesthesia and then with her magic endoscopic machine, with the endoscope. Um, she went into this kitty. And what happens, this is, this is like the part where it gets, you know, I'm monitoring anesthesia, which is how I, you know, that's what I know how to do. Um, the internal medicine doctor has her tech, which is, um, God bless them, they'll come in late at night sometimes to help us out with this because the machine's expensive. And there's a little grabber that they feed through the endoscope and then they, so the doctor's looking at this like TV monitor at the inside of this cat and the the cat's glowing from the inside, which is really fun. You can see where the light is like in the cat's belly, which is kind of fun, little Christmas light show for kitty. And then the other, the technician that's working with the doctor uh, is hanging on to these little grabbers. And so that kind of sounds like this, like this this is kind of how endoscopic procedure sounds. Okay. Now I see it. Oh, wait. I can't see anything. Okay. Okay. Now I see it. Okay. Open. Close. Okay. Let me back up. Let me back up. Hang on. Oh, there it is. Okay. Wait. Okay. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Open. Close. Open. Close. Okay. I'm going to back out. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, we lost it. Oh my God. We're never, okay. Let's try it again. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Open. Close. Okay. We're backing out. Here comes here comes here comes here comes yay good job kitty okay wake her up we're done <laughs> so that's endoscopy and what that is is the little grabbers the doctor tells the technician when to open them and when to close them and she's guiding with the light to see where um So she can grab onto this foreign object and then they'll pull it out of the cat and they just pull it right out of her mouth. So she didn't even have to go to surgery or anything. Hooray. Um, This kitty didn't. Um, If they can't get it out, then they have to be ready to go to surgery, which is way not fun that you have to like kind of do two procedures, but it happens. Um, There was a dog that had a fish hook in it uh, at my previous job, and man, he made us sweat. So it was the same thing, like endoscopic procedure. And with the endoscope, the, the fish hook had all this string around it, and the endoscope got caught, like, in the fish hook string. So, like, the grabber, the open close open close grabber was, like, caught in the string, and then the doctor got the scope caught in the string too. So all of a sudden, both the technician and the internal medicine doctor were attached to the inside of this dog. And she like looked at me and she was like, um, we're going to go into the OR. Like we're, we're not getting out of this dog. And I'm like, Why? So she thought that they were going to have to literally with all of their equipment stuck in the fish hook, That's stuck in this dog go into the OR because the scope was all caught in there. Um, Thankfully she was very very skilled and she managed to kind of untangle herself uh, from from that fish hook but that that was a terribly exciting moment for a moment there that dog ended up going to surgery because you know (laughs) due to the complications the scope was not able to get that fish hook out and so we actually called the surgeon in they were there standing by and then when uh the poor doctor got caught in the fish hook in 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 endoscopy um they were already in the OR so we didn't even have to wake the dog up out of anesthesia we just carried him into the OR and uh the doctor did an abdominal surgery and uh was able to get that Get that fish hook out so that's how that kind of played out bonus of the fish hook um there's always hope that these surgeries are going to be straightforward you know but a lot of times you're dealing with ones that like they have a perforated bowel so then you're kind of doing all this washing out of the abdomen. Um, I've been in a emergency surgery late at night. We thought it was going to be super straightforward, um, foreign body. It ended up the cat's gallbladder was, was dark black and swollen up like a golf ball that was totally unexpected. So there definitely are one-offs that happen in here. Um, there was one where a doctor had spayed this dog two weeks prior to presentation at our hospital, um, and she had not urinated for two weeks. Ugh. So it does happen where spays will occur in an in, with an inexperienced doctor and um, they tie off a ureter, which is the little tube that goes from the kidney to the to the bladder, and then th- it backs up their kidneys because they've tied off the little pipeline that ma- that makes the urine come from the kidney to the bladder. In this case, so we did what's called an exploratory laparotomy. I mean, really an exploratory laparotomy is what all these surgeries are. Uh, not the endoscope one, but all the ones where you open their belly up. Uh, but th- this one was a true explorer because we weren't really sure what we were going to find in this poor two weeks post-op spayed dog not peeing. We opened up that dog. The dog had no bladder. Nope. It wasn't there. Like, I, and this was a cool, calm, and co- this surgeon in particular, cool as a freaking cucumber. And she just like, she opened up this dog. She lifted up her sterile gloves and looked at me and went, can you please get the emergency doctor? I was like, oh, oh, y- y- yeah, yeah, here I go. So um, the emergency doctor came in and who had admitted the dog, and the surgeon was like, she has no bladder. It's been resected. I'm gonna try to work with the stump that remains and make her something, but the prognosis is very poor. We were like, oh, this small dog is like a little Chihuahua mix thing. Um, Miracle of miracles. This surgeon did an incredible job. She built her a bladder about the size of the first knuckle of your thumb from the tissue that remained there. Um, The dog stayed in the hospital for about, I want to say like a week and a half, um, peeing constantly because, you know, she has like a little tiny thimble for a bladder. Um, but they're transitional cells. There were some transitional cells, which is the type of cells that the bladder's made out of that can actually stretch. And so, you know, we were hopeful that it would become a, a functional bladder. And you know what? It freaking did. Dog went home. Will probably pee every five minutes for the rest of its life, but went home. I'm going to close today with today's talk about surgery with a home surgery. And this is... Uh, a cat that came in healthy, not for surgery at our hospital, came in for a vaccine appointment with uh, one of the general practitioners at my old job. Very cute kitty, little fluffy orange thing. Uh, the doctor came downstairs with this kitty with this kind of perpe- perplexed look on his face. And he's like, Yeah, kitty needs a temperature taken and then a rabies vaccine. And we're like, Okay. So we're like going around. And he's just shaking his head. And we're like, what? Why? And he's like, this, the owner of this cat just told me a story that I kind of can't get past. And we're like, well, why? Why? So he, the first time client, he'd asked her, does a cat have any previous health problems? And she said, oh, well, he ate a, a hairband um, a couple of years ago and um, had surgery for it. And he was like, "Oh, so well, not surgery here. Which which hospital did you have surgery at?" "Oh, I did it at home." What? "Oh, I, I'm a physician's assistant, so I just did the surgery myself." Okay. <laughs> so apparently, she did. She opened this cat up opened this cat's abdomen in her house on her kitchen table and looked in his intestines till she found so she'd watched him eat the hairband so she knew that the cat ate the hairband and then he was vomiting for a couple days so she anesthetized him at home opened him up took out the hairband and sewed him back up and that was like 3 years before all of us standing in this clinic rehashing this story and the cat's just sitting on the table like (laughs) i'm cool unbelievable we don't know what she used we don't know what drugs she i mean that was as many details as we got because like the doctor was like i'm just gonna give you your cat's vaccine and send you on your way so uh yeah kitty was fine Okay, guys, so we've, we've come to the end of, uh, of this, this week's episode of Cat Disgusted. But before I go, there is uh, one segment that I forgot to put in uh, in the Toxicities uh, episode that we have. Uh, every, every, every week when we do this, uh, or every two weeks uh, when we do this, depending on how quickly I can get to it, uh, we're going to celebrate our venapuncture achievements of the week. So we're we're going to tell some stories and you know, a lot of what we do in our clinic is draw blood. So much of what we do is do venapuncture. So I feel like it warrants some dedicated airtime. Uh this is a segment that we'll call venapuncture of, of the week. DJ. Yeah, time to celebrate some fabulous vein from uh, my fellow technicians. So uh, this week in the hospital, we had a teeny tiny itty bitty puppy uh, that uh, was a little tiny Yorkshire terrier, came in for hypoglycemia and seizures. Uh, this is not uncommon, uncommon with the itty bitty babies. Uh, they get, uh, for various reasons, they, they don't have a whole lot of reserves in their little bodies. So if something, if their blood sugar is not getting processed properly, um, they're their glucose in their system can drop like a rock. And so, uh, this puppy it, blood sugar was so low that it was laterally recumbent, like almost unresponsive. It was having seizures. Cause that can happen when you don't have enough uh, glucose in your system, a hypoglycemic seizure. So what we did, um, the fabulous nurses who triaged him, put uh, an IV catheter into him and gave him dextrose, which is a, a sugar that we use to raise blood glucose levels. Thing was, is he was so tiny, uh, that he, the only vein that was worth any thing in his body was his neck. And so, uh, the nurse put an IV catheter that you'd normally put in the arm or in the leg of a patient. She put it in his jugular vein, uh, which is great because it's like, you know, that's, that's a good vessel that he had. Uh, but what it means is he's going to have this big old taped up, uh, catheter around his neck, kind of like a big old, uh, neck brace thing. But it functioned really, really well. Uh, but So we weren't really sure why this puppy's glucose had dropped like that. You know, the owners were feeding him the right things. They were feeding him at the correct intervals. You know, puppies need lots of meals all the time because um, they're constantly burning them off, going crazy all the time. So uh, there is a congenital abnormality that puppies can have. Um, people can have it too, actually, uh, which is a, a liver shunt. And so what that means is, uh, it, you know, when you're in your mom's uterus, uh, your blood supply is actually bypassed around your liver, uh, by this vessel that then closes up, uh, once you come to term. So some puppies, they, that shunt that they have while they're in the, while they're in the womb doesn't close up properly. So what that means is, uh, the blood is actually being shunted away from their liver. And so then they can't process, uh, their glucose properly. They can't process nutrients properly. Um, and what will happen is their bile acids will go way, way up because you know, the bile acids are released into the intestine to help break down and absorb fats and they're reabsorbed and stored again in the liver until they're needed. Um, dogs with liver shunts, they have this increased blood bile acid because their liver doesn't get a chance to remove, um, those, those acids, a- after they're reabsorbed, like it, the blood just doesn't go there because um, they've got this vessel that's still there. They shouldn't be there. So the way to test for that, uh, you can take a, a baseline bile acid level and then you can take what they call a post-bile acid, which means that you're going to feed the puppy some food. And if you feed them food and their bile acids shoot up through the roof, then you know that they've got this shunt because all the bile acids shouldn't be, they shouldn't still be in their bloodstream. Um, after they've eaten like that, it should be it should be a more normal level. Um, so it means you have to get blood samples not once but twice. <laughs> so because puppy's be- only real viable vein is the ones in his neck, and we got a big ass catheter in one, makes vein of puncture a little bit tricky, y'all. So it took three people the first time, four people the second time to hold down this tiny puppy. And torture it while we stuck the smallest needle that we have into his tiny little rear leg because there's a vein that they have on the outside of their rear leg, um, dogs, and uh, that's the one that we had to use because his neck was all taped up, and so we actually and it took forever because this needle was so tiny. Uh, Luckily, the sample can clot on its own. That's an issue when your blood draws are really slow. Then the sample clots, and then you're like, Um, so it screws up your CBC, but in this case it didn't matter. It can clot. It's fine. Cool. Whatever. Like we just, we just need it. We just need like two mils of blood. So it, I got really, really lucky and that it was kind of, you know, the stick was pretty good and like, we're getting a good flow and the puppy's like, and we had somebody petting its head, somebody holding its front and back end. So it's like all of us, like all three of our heads just like totally like clomb together. Like we're like a little molecule of technician and puppy, like all together drawing this blood. But it took so long that um, one one of the texts was like, I feel like we should sing sing something to him, like, like a lullaby. And then uh, the tech scratching his head, she goes like, well, he's a young puppy. So probably more, something more like hip hop, you know? So then I immediately think, oh, I was like, do you guys know the Yo Mama song? And they're like, what? Your mama's so fat, how fat is she? Your mama is so big and fat that she can get busy. With twenty-two burritos when times are rough. I seen her in the back of Taco Bell with handcuffs. Sad fact, your mama smoke crack. She got the burning yearning and the snow turning back. Her knuckles drag down to the ground when she walks. Spit comes out that bitch mouth when she talks. Sittin' on a mountaintop, shootin' on a flizzoot, riding on a horse, drinking whiskey out of bizzoots. She got the wings and teeth of an African bat. Her middle name is Mudbone. And on top of all that, your mama got a glass eye with a fish in it. Your mama got a glass eye eye! with a fish in it your mama got a glass eye with a fish in it your mama your mama your mama do we have enough amanda do we have enough in that tube okay all right we're done well done ladies and gentlemen we got that sample well that's gonna do it for cat disgusted this week ladies and gentlemen uh thanks so much for listening uh we'll be back with another episode soon like we say in the er don't come see me at work good night everybody